Hey educators, what's the scoop? Are you ready to be inspired by great things happening in rural Arizona classrooms? The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas, an innovative curriculum. We'll dive into current school issues and we'll highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of teachers, administrators, and educational professionals who will provide relevant and engaging content each episode. And now, serving up the Rural Scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Sador. Thank you, Rural Scoop listeners, for tuning in with us today. I have Jared Maddox with us, the coordinator of an amazing new program that I'm excited to talk to you about that's happening at a middle school in the Humboldt Unified School District. Jared, are you ready to give us the scoop? I sure am. Thanks for having me on. Great. I'm glad that you're here. First, before we get going on what's happening in your school, can you give our listeners a bit of information about you and your background? Absolutely. Uh, once again, my name is Jared Maddox, and I am the coordinator of the I Choose Academy at Glassford Hill Middle School. Uh, we are a seventh and eighth grade personalized learning program. Uh, previous to my work as coordinator of the I Choose Academy, uh, I held a number of different teacher leader roles and professional training roles uh, due to my interests. I am a national board certified English language arts teacher, and I've spent the vast majority of my career in the high school classroom most of which was in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Uh, both my parents were teachers, my mother-in-law was a teacher and an administrator, and my wife specializes in the education market and the construction industry. So I, I have a lot of vested interests in education. Uh, my family and I moved to Arizona in June 2016 to live closer to family, uh, live in a smaller, more manageable town, and be closer to the outdoors, which is one of my passions. Oh, great. And Jared, thanks again for joining us today. Um, well, we just heard about you, uh, but can you tell us a little bit more about your school and your district? Sure. Uh, once again, school is Glassford Hill Middle School, uh, which is a seventh and eighth grade campus. Uh, we have approximately 425 students. Uh, Glassford Hill is part of Humboldt Unified School District 22 in Prescott Valley, Arizona, a community of about 44,000 people. And as you can tell from the name, uh, we are part of that Quad Cities area, so we're just east of Prescott in uh, Yavapai County. Uh, HUSD is made up of five elementary schools, one K through eight traditional school, and two middle schools, which includes Glassford, and then one high school. Uh, together, we have approximately 5,800 students in the uh, district. Along with uh, a regional medical center, the Yavapai Regional Medical Center uh, Pre and Prescott Unified, uh, we're one of the largest employers in the county. Um, our district has been really working hard to develop many different learning pathways uh, for students, uh, and that's where it extends to my current project as uh, coordinator of I Choose Academy. Okay, so great. Well, if you would please introduce us to your program. Give us the two-minute elevator speech. Okay. Uh, so, uh, we, once again, we're a personalized learning program. Of a pro our goal was 100 students, um, 50 seventh graders, 50 eighth graders. Uh, we started the year with 94. Uh, we are a school within a school model here on campus at Glassford. Uh, curricularly, we emphasize uh, the five C's, critical thinking, communication, creativity, collaboration, and compassion. And a great majority of the curriculum is teacher created and delivers individualization through small and large group lessons, uh, Socratic seminar, field trips, lots of project-based learning, and when available, online learning. 
Uh, we consider our students to be partners in the learning community, uh, and they are encouraged uh, to find their voice and make choices about what and how they learn. Uh, I often talk about our core values because I think this uh, covers everything. Um, first core value is learning, uh, and that is both students and teachers. We're learning alongside them. Uh, two, uh, relevance and learning and experience. Uh, everything we do, we try to make sure is relevant uh, in the most uh, connected way possible. Three, the collaboration and culture. Uh, once again, inviting that student in to be part of the PLC. And uh, that's number four, PLCs. A strong believer in the, uh, you know, the ability to change a school with a strong PLC. This is our first year. We do consider ourselves a pilot, uh, which gives us <laughs> uh, some flexibility to be experimental and innovate, uh, which is really uh, one of my favorite things. Uh, we're currently planning next year, and we have some big hopes for our growth and development. Fantastic. Jared, when you talked about students being involved in their own learning, does that involve goal setting? How does that look when you're in the classroom with those kiddos? That, that's a great question, and that's something that we are still working through this year. Uh, it, it, it started with a pretty ambitious plan that we have since moved around a little bit, and what we found was um, we had to do a significant amount of onboarding to get them up to our platform. Uh, there was significant number of uh, activities related to culture building so that they felt safe and they felt connected to not only us, but their classmates because it, it hinges on that collaboration. Uh, and then they became more familiar with the program and what it means and how to be successful. We uh, ramped up the conferencing. Uh, we do a lot of SMART goal writing. Uh, right now they're writing a SMART goal for this three weeks that must be academic. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily have to be tied to one content, but it needs to be academic in nature. So for example, I've got one student that she wants to start learning French. Uh, and while that doesn't necessarily connect to one of our contents, um, that's certainly something that she can do when she's done with her other work. Um, so it's conferencing, smart goal writing, uh, a lot of personal connections. Um, and then ultimately, in a very slow sequence of events, the student starts to take ownership of their learning. Um, and this has been one of the more, uh, this has been one of the bigger uphill battles. Uh, seventh and eighth graders, uh, helping them become more aware of themselves and how they learn, and then ultimately taking ownership is, is quite an endeavor. Definitely, especially like you said, when you're working with middle school students and trying to teach them how to do that in the first place. It's a challenge. Uh, definitely. All right. Well, let's, let's uh, move on to actually how and why you started this program. Talk us through that. Sure. Uh, it was the 17-18 school year. So there's not, this has been a very short window. We're doing much in the way of technology integration. We're also uh, knee-deep in curriculum adoption around the district and several content areas. And mind you, these were happening simultaneously. Uh, I realized personally that I really needed to innovate my instruction. Uh, I'm a National Board certified teacher. I have a lot of pride in my craft and I work very hard, uh, but I just felt like I was failing to make my content relevant enough. And I knew that I, couldn't and certainly didn't want to work anymore in isolation. Uh, and that seemed to be um, where I was. So in terms of vision, uh, I've always been most comfortable in, in a comprehensive high school. My parents both worked in comprehensive high schools. Uh, and I just was becoming more and more intrigued with non-traditional classrooms. Uh, and past school districts had stressed learning pathways, 
which certainly made sense to me. But I also thought that that was somewhat limited because I felt like learning styles needed to have pathways as well. And so that's where I started to put one and two together. Uh, about the same time, uh, somewhat serendipitously, um, had the fortune to go to the Solution Tree PLC conference in Phoenix. Um, I'd been involved in PLCs since the very beginning of my career, so 2002. Um, but this was the conference that re-established that as a hallmark of um, what teachers can do when they're on the same page and enjoy collaborating and have a mission and a vision and clear purpose. Uh, and so when I came back, I really just felt re-energized that teachers could really take the reins and be a change maker. Um, and uh, I, I think it may, however, all come down to this last point, and that's um, one day I made an appointment with my superintendent, Dan Streeter, and you know, of course I had an idea for this kind of non-traditional program. And uh, much to my surprise, he said, let's do it. I think he had it planned all along and he was just for the, <laughs> right, the right person to come in and say, can I do this? You know, should we do this? Um, I, I did, I really, I was stunned. I, I couldn't believe he said yes. Uh, and then we, right there on the spot, we started making plans to do site visits and uh, additional meetings. Um, and like I said, I think he had the plan all along. I think he just needed somebody else to get there. So uh, this has really only been since I would say mid-February of 2018. I mean, we're not even at one year here. Uh, and we, we decided to pull the trigger and start in the 2018-2019 school year. So here we are. Wow. And so fast turnaround. Very. Yeah. It, uh, my, that was the busiest spring I have ever had. Um, <laughs> I didn't really see my kids for, for, for much there, but uh, we got through it. Summer was very busy as well. Um, there were a lot of hurdles, um, a lot of on-the-job training, and uh, we got here. Uh, I'm happy for it, though. Very happy. Well, a couple of things to follow up on that. Where did you do your site visits? What kind of programming were you going to visit? Well, uh, immediately Dan uh, showed me a, a kind of a, just a PR video that Dysart, Unify, Dysart School District had done uh, for their Innovation Academy. And that just flat blew me away. Um, I, I said, that's it, that's what I wanna do. Um, and that was where we went first. So I wanna say it was late February, I wanna say February 27th of 2018, uh, we went down to Dysart and we toured their program. Um, they were just, th this was probably the best way to start because uh, we got a short visit uh, with the kids in the classrooms, maybe 45 minutes, and then uh, they gave us so gave so generously of their time. We were in a conference room asking questions for probably upwards of two hours. I had probably 50 questions to ask, in addition to the ones I scribbled down as we were touring the facility. Um, and it was uh, Dr. Michelle Benham, who's the director of innovation and teaching and learning. Uh, the site principal, um, Stacy Brown, she's the principal of Western Peaks Elementary, where the Innovation Academy is uh, uh, placed. And then uh, Tracy Kehoe, uh, she's one of the instructors. All three just gave, uh, and several others, uh, just gave so generously their time. So that's where it started. And I, I can't imagine doing this without doing the site visit first, uh, because that helped crystallize the vision a bit, uh, it helped us realize that we can do this. Uh, it helped us understand what are next steps and where to anticipate challenges. And uh, I can't say this enough. Site visits is, is, you cannot do this without seeing it. 
Um, we went back and did another site visit once we had hired on uh, the other teachers. Uh, that was particularly helpful. We also brought our school principal, uh, uh, Melissa Tannehill, who's my principal and supervisor. Uh, she went with us. Uh, and then since then, I've done another site visit as part of the um, it's, uh, superintendents uh, association, and, and they were just wonderful once again. Uh, so I've seen this program now two years. Uh, I've seen how they've grown and, and established themselves and then made some shifts. Uh, you know, when we first went through there, uh, they didn't have fifth graders. Now they have five, six, seven, and eight, uh, which really intrigued me. Um, so I, I, I owe a big, big thanks to Dysart. Fantastic. And, and you said you had a coalition of educators that went and obviously were very excited about doing this kind of programming back at Humboldt. So you had a group that really engaged and bought into it. How did you then get your students and their parents excited about what you were doing? Because they have to somehow be pulled into that vision of what's possible with this kind of programming too. How did you sell it? Uh, we did, it, it, once again, it was a flurry of activity. We had some open house nights. Uh, our first open house, much to my surprise, we had well over 100 uh, parents and students. Um, some of those certainly did yield students who enrolled uh, in iChoose. We had then uh, nights where we were going to elementary schools to do open house kind of forums uh, with parents so they could ask questions. Uh, we did site visits during the day for school, uh, for the kids in school to prompt them that this was an opportunity and hand out some literature about the program, introduce ourselves. Um, a big kind of social media push. Uh, we sent out a mailer. I mean, I mean, we're, it was a, a very, I mean, mind you, this happened in about the course of about four weeks. Not only did we plan it, we implemented wow. it. It was almost immediate implementation because by the time that we got to that stage, it was, early, it was mid-May. It was super, super tight. Um, you know, mind you that all the building principals, including Principal Tannehill, already had her master's schedule ready, and here she is, you know, getting an additional program, and we're pulling kids from her school, um, we're bringing additional kids into the school who are coming from out of district or uh, from homeschool, uh, so it was, it was quite a, an endeavor, and I, I, I got to give a big credence to the parents, because ultimately it came down to their faith in the district and, and us as their teachers, that this is a pilot. Uh, we didn't know exactly what it looked like. We told them, you know, this is a pilot. Here is our vision. We are going to make changes. And every single quarter we have made refinements and changes. We are not where we started. I, I think we're in a much better place. It's definitely been a journey. But those parents gave willingly. They, they, they put their faith in us. Um, well, yeah. And, and obviously being able to enroll 94 students on launch you were successful in getting them motivated and excited about what you were doing too. Yes. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. So as you think back to the initial implementation of your programming, uh, specifically you mentioned that you had some challenges, but what challenges did you face and, and how did you overcome those challenges? Well, uh, as I had said, I've most of my career, if not all of it has been in the high school classroom. Um, so this is my first middle school, and, and, and any middle school teacher knows exactly my, my size and gray hair, what they mean. Um, you know, they model themselves as mini high schools, um, and it just is not developmentally appropriate necessarily, in my opinion. 
Um, so we really, as I had said earlier, it was an uphill climb to get the seventh and eighth graders to manage themselves. Um, there was a lot of onboarding, as I said, there was a lot of reteaching and spiraling back. I mean, it was over and over and over. And even to this day, we're, we're it's a constant maintenance. Um, it's, it is risky, uh, quite frankly, um, to let a seventh and eighth grader kind of take over the reins a little bit. And you have to give them some faith. You have to give them some, you have to really believe in them. Uh, they are just seventh and eighth graders for all intents and purposes. They're kids. Um, you know, some of them are bigger and taller than me and others are, you know, look like my, my own son who's a fifth grader, but they have to take a lot of ownership. And so this took time. Um, we learn best by doing, and so do they. And that's something that we've really had to say, okay, we failed here, or this did not go as well as we liked. Um, is this developmentally appropriate? How could we have done it better? And so that was a big implementation. It's one we're always going to be trying to improve year after year after year. Um, on that same vein, uh, my team is made of four teachers, including myself. Uh, so I have two elementary teachers, uh, one of which is a kindergarten teacher, a fifth grade teacher, uh, one middle school teacher, and, and then myself, the high school. So we all had really different concepts of who we are, what we know, uh, what we thought this should look like, uh, what is best practice in a high school is totally different than what is best practice in the elementary model to a, a large extent. Um, so we had to talk through virtually everything. Uh, we had, I think, 27 hours of uh, work, no, it was more than that, 27 days of workshop time over the summer. We worked all summer and significant. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a lot of talking. Um, some of those plans, you know, landed exactly where they ended at the end of the summer. Others were scrapped and retooled, but it, it takes an inordinate amount of time to talk through these things, make sure everybody's on the same page. Um, and, and so that was a big challenge. And, and ultimately we, we got, I, I say we kind of won the lottery with teachers, not including myself necessarily, but uh, we like each other. We respect each other. We enjoy each other's company. We're very like-minded. Um, and so we, we got lucky. I, I'll be honest, if you're going into the implementation stage, it all hinges on the PLC and the teachers, um, but you've, you've got to find a cultural balance in the teachers that are working together. And that's so hard. Um, Good point. Yeah. Uh, technology, this was and is still the first one-to-one -one computing environment in this district. Uh, we were a little bit behind, but I'd like, I like to say that we let the others uh, go ahead of us and figure out all the wrong ways to do it. Um, and so I think that we came out really in good shape. Uh, this, however, really changes the way that you implement and use the technology. I like to refer to the SAMR model, uh, which is for implementation of technology. It stands for substitution, augmentation, modification, and redefinition. Um, oftentimes teachers, when they start technology, they move up step by step by step by step to get to the point at which they can redefine their instruction with technology. Well, here we are, uh, we were trying to jump through all three and immediately get to redefinition. And in some ways we were able to do that and others we were not. Um, but thankfully the technology was probably the easiest part of implementation. Um, our head of IT, Patrick Keeling, did a, an awesome job helping us get there. Um, that was the one part that I was really scared about, but that was not to be borne out. It was in really good shape. Um, and then I, I would say back to that 
personalized definition, personalized learning definition was something that had to evolve. Um, it, you know, on this, on just off the top of my head, I think the other is, you know, we just jumped right in. Uh, I remember sitting around a lunch table with um, Dan Streeter, the superintendent, and Cole Young, um, who is now our um, assistant superintendent in HR, and we said, okay, do we talk about this for a year or do we do it now? And all three of us unanimously said, let's do it next year. I mean, we can talk until we're blue in the face and get scared and not do it, or do we jump in? And we did. Um, you, you just gotta, you gotta do it. Um, it, it has certainly changed so much about uh, who I am as a teacher. Uh, we get the feedback from the kids daily about how much different, how much they enjoy it. Um, does it fit everybody? No, um, but I, I don't begrudge jumping right in um, by any means. Well, along those same lines, if another school or district were looking to replicate your program, why might they fail? Can you give us some best practices advice? Sure. Uh, I've mentioned many of these along the way, so this is kind of a summary of, of other points. Uh, the importance of the teacher PLC would be first and foremost, uh, failing to see that this is the success of the program is going to hinge on those teachers. Um, and as I said before, the mutual respect and professionalism, you got to enjoy the work long. It's, it's long hours. <laughs> it is uh, much longer hours than what I was already doing uh, because it's so different. Um, it, we're all lifelong learners. Uh, I think that, um, you know, for example, um, all of us have had different careers at some point. Um, my social studies teacher, Kelsey Holt, is a winemaker on the side. Uh, Michael Ingerson, uh, who does a lot of my math, uh, he owned his own business and, and moving in San Diego. So, and, and I was a former advertising executive. So all of us come with a, a different kind of, um, you know, we came to teaching because we wanted to make a difference. And so we all approach learning as it's lifelong. Uh, we're still learning. We really enjoy it. And we want to nurture that. Uh, you also have to have that strong interest on the part of the teachers to be cross-curricular. Uh, much of my ELA uh, content is embedded in science and uh, social studies. I also do some embedding in math. Um, so I try to make mine super relevant, and that really puts me out of my comfort zone. There's some days where I'm like, what am I doing? Um, but it ultimately has gone really well. You have to have teachers that know the sequence of experiences um, up and down the grades. I think that that was something that we got very lucky with uh, this group of teachers that um, inherently just based on our experiences and where we came from, we know what students should look like at each grade level. I may not know what they're supposed to look like necessarily at the elementary levels, but I certainly know the high school. So I know what needs to happen. I know what it looks like and vice versa um, on some of the part of the other teachers. Uh, I think the biggest is just gonna be support from the administration and uh, district office. This is uh, something that puts a lot of people out of their comfort zone. Um, student information system, LMS, technology, administrative procedures, everything is turned on end and people have to um, pause and think and uh, be willing to answer our sometimes crazy questions like why do we do it this way? Why can't it be this way? Or you know, do I have to do that? Um, there were, there were, I mean, we had many conversations about attendance. Um, you know, why do we need to take attendance every period? We don't. Um, and that took some ironing out. That's just one of many reasons that you got to have good support from administration and district office. Uh, so they know um, 
in some cases that they don't know and they just need to listen and problem solve with you or other times, you know, they're able to say, nope, this is, this is the way it's got to be done and I'll help you um, reason through it or come up with some alternative plan. Jared, you had mentioned previously that your district had gone through a curriculum adoption at the time that you were planning this new programming. Is the curriculum that's selected a reason that a program might fail? No, I, I think that uh, it somewhat inspired it in terms of the timing because so much of the curriculum, um, for example, we were doing ELA adoption and many of the vendors were able to accommodate a school that is one-to-one, a school that's in transition or a school that has doesn't have the resources to get there. Uh, and I know that that was much the case for math. Science was perhaps a little bit more ahead. Um, they weren't necessarily in a formal adoption, but they were certainly looking at materials uh, that could go any of the same ways that ELA. So I think it, it actually helped. Uh, and plus these new materials are more standards aligned. Um, they do try to honor more project and collaboration um, and as we always say, give some more voice and choice to the students. So I felt like that helped. Um, you know, in, in my estimation, I think if we weren't moving teachers forward in terms of the adoptions, we probably would have been less comfortable with it. Got it. To date, what are the successes of your programming? And give us your most inspiring success story. Uh, I... That's a, that's a hard one um, because there's oftentimes with this model, it's the little things. Uh, you know, for example, we have a young lady. Um, she is about to be our um, January student of the month. She's a seventh grader, um, a little bit uh, quiet, a little bit unsure of herself, um, but she just came into this program and just blossomed. Um, she was always that kind of cheeky, smart, funny, quirky kid. But I think that she finally started to listen to herself and trust herself. And so she's taken upon herself many leadership roles. Um, she really hustles in terms of her studies. Uh, she just takes full advantage of everything that we, we throw out there. Um, and I think it is the kind of, for lack of a better way, that, that middle of the road kid um, Oftentimes, as a high school uh, AP teacher, uh, I would often look at the kids and say, you're, you're going to get a five on this test whether I taught you or not. You're just that good. You're just that gifted. Um, I often really wanted to teach to the kids who are most likely going to take that test and get a one or a two or possibly a three if I really work with them. And so I think that this program works best for the middle of the road kid. Um, those that are high achievers, function independently really well, are going to explode and do really great things. But I think it's more enrichment that the program brings them. For the middle of the road kids, it's just, it, it's a vibrancy, uh, a relevancy. It's, a, it's, it's something that helps them grow personally and uh, really, I think, changes their future. Um, it, the other piece is that the success of the program, I think it's just, it's also some of the, just the vibrancy of what you see. Uh, I often tell visitors, like, be prepared. It's going to be loud. Um, it's loud learning. Um, but that's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean they're off task. Uh, is it inconsistent at times? Absolutely. Um, just like when I see adults go to Starbucks and work for a few hours, um, they may work for like 25 minutes and then they're 10 minutes of distraction looking through Facebook or, or you know, whatever it may be. And, and kids do that too. I mean, studies say that they're not able to focus for extended periods of time. And if we think that that's happening in a regular classroom with consistency throughout the period, um, you're mistaken. 
Um, so it is going to be inconsistent and loud at times. Um, and secondly, I don't think kids are afraid to try new things. Uh, we've given them a lot of different opportunities and they jump in. Um, for example, last Friday, I, I really wanted to do just a short lesson on backpacking and mountaineering, something I'm really passionate in to model that it's okay to nerd out on something. It's okay to share that and be vulnerable and, and then offer that to others that may be interested or may not. Uh, and so, you know, I was able to show on my backpack and all my gear and my maps and my guides and my trips and all that. And I had a ball. Uh, in the end, I probably only had like four or five kids who were like, I want to learn more. You know, what, what can you, where can you direct me? Um, so it, it, I think the success of the program hinges on student feedback, you know, seeing those inspiring stories like that young lady I spoke about first, and then also just the, um, you know, the opportunities to get out of their comfort zone. Um, you got to be a brave teacher to do this. Um, as a veteran, I think I can call myself a veteran now that I'm over 15 years in, the, in teaching. Um, it's scary. Uh, I oftentimes would look at the teachers as they came in in the morning and know like this, they're not real sure how it's going to go today because they're putting themselves out there. They're, they're, they planned, they've worked, they got everything ready, but there's still this, it's not the same worksheet. It's not the same lesson that they've done year to year. Uh, it, and we're really relying on the students to jump into the lessons and add to it. Um, so uh, I think it's also, you know, success of the program is the teachers are, <laughs> they're smiling, they're, they're happy, they're enjoying it. Um, you know, so I would say those are my successes of the program. You know, it's a successful day when you come to work with a smile on your face and you leave the same way. So it sounds like you and your team have that in spades. Yeah, uh, we may be dragging to the car though. <laughs> this is more. This is much more physical than I ever remember teaching to be. But yeah, yes, smiling faces, absolutely. Uh, Jared, can you give our listeners um, some ideas about what support or resources are available if they want to uh, start a similar kind of program at their school site? Uh, you can really uh, lose yourself quickly with online resources. So I wanted to speak to what I think works the best and quickly gets you um, visioning it on your own campus. And that's back to the site visits. Hands down, most important thing you can do. Um, we have not had many people come through our program, but we certainly would welcome people to come through. Uh, my teachers would love to uh, swap ideas and get feedback. Um, we're always trying to improve, but do site visits. Like I said, Dysart was super uh, helpful to us. Um, I would reach out to Dr. Michelle Benham. She's probably going to be very upset with me now that she might get a flood of interest. But <laughs> they're so the, Dysart's been so uh, welcoming in terms of all the other visitors. Uh, I don't think that they would begrudge it. Um, but I would I would do site visits. I would then reach out to other administrators. There's a personalized learning cohort through the superintendents association. Uh, I, this podcast, I think you got to hear and talk to people. Um, the online resources just get overwhelming because like I said earlier, there's no one single definition. You can quickly lose yourself in what it is. So, um, and I, and they can certainly email me or, or call. Uh, I would love to, you know, share and problem solve and, and consult with them as much as I can. Cause I really do think this is, I don't think this is the next best thing. I don't, you, I've been around to see the cycles happen. Um, this is the way education was always supposed to be, in my uh, opinion. And so if they do want to get in touch with you, can you spell out your email address so that they can do that? 
Sure. Uh, email is uh, spelled J-A-R-R-E-D dot M-A-D-D-O-X at HumboldtUnified.com. Great. Thank you. Well, Jared, thank you so much for being involved with the podcast today. I want to let all the Rural Scoop listeners know that Jared's contact information will be available in the show notes so that you can check that out at the Arizona Rural Schools Association website at azruralschool.org and get more detailed information on how to get in touch with Jared to get more information on his programming. Thanks again, Jared, for spending some time with us today here at the Rural Scoop. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.